Denotified, a pediatric podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Sufchuk, and today we're going to be talking about idiopathic intracranial hypertension, or IIH, formerly known as pseudotumor cerebri. With us, we have Dr. Ectoberry, who is a pediatric neurologist and sees a ton of this in her practice. Dr. Berry, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So this is a super common problem we see in the pediatric neurology world, um, but slightly less common in the general pediatrics world. So why don't we start by talking a little bit about what IIH even is? Yeah, so like you mentioned, IIH, or idiopathic intracranial hypertension, refers to an increased pressure in the CSF that surrounds the brain and the spinal cord. This pressure on the brain and the optic nerves can lead to symptoms such as headache, tinnitus, and blurry vision. And I think it's sort of difficult to wrap your head around the concept of having increased pressure in the CSF, unless you have a good working understanding of how CSF is produced and how, it's, how it drains. Yeah, so I think understanding or having a working knowledge of cerebrospinal fluid, CSF, can help a lot in understanding causes and treatments of IIH. And so to start kind of reviewing the CSF pathway, it's produced by the ependymal cells in the choroid plexus, and then it circulates in the ventricles and surrounds the spinal cord. It's ultimately absorbed by the arachnoid granulations, and it drains back via the venous system into the circulation. And we know this is a disorder where one way or another, there's just too much pressure in the CSF and it starts to cause problems. One of those problems is a really bad headache, but that's, I think, where it gets a little tricky just because in pediatrics, we see so many patients in clinic and in the inpatient setting who have their chief complaint as headache. How are you supposed to know who has IIH and who doesn't? And why does it matter? So let's start first with why it matters. It it matters because this increased intracranial pressure can cause vision loss. And if it goes on for too long, it can cause more permanent vision loss from pressure on your optic nerves. So if you think back a little bit to anatomy, you know that your optic nerves exit your brain and enter into the posterior portion of the orbits. There's a tiny part of this nerve that's exposed to CSF. And with increased pressure from that CSF, there's compression of that optic nerve causing your visual symptoms. So as far as finding these kids um, in clinic, really there are certain patterns that that we look for with their headache description, um, certain risk factors associated with IIH, and of course, just really getting a good history and physical exam. And what does a classic headache description look like for a person with IIH? So like if you had to close your eyes and think of the perfect patient with IIH, how would they describe their headache? Yeah, so they usually describe it to be a constant frontal headache, sometimes a pressure or full feeling in their head. They describe that the the headache worsens with maneuvers that increase your intracranial pressure. So valsalving, so like stooling or coughing, um, lying down, bending over, all of those maneuvers, they'll say, make their headache worse. They also will describe this transient visual obscuration or graying out of their vision that is associated with these maneuvers or postural changes. And finally, they'll often say that they have a whooshing na- noise in their ears or a pulsatile tinnitus. Once we get a good headache history on these patients, is there anything else you want to ask? Certainly. So not just the 
descriptors of the headache itself, but also risk factors like we previously mentioned. And so certain things we have found are associated with IIH and the mechanism isn't so perfectly understood, but there are certain medications, so oral contraceptives, tetracyclines, isotretinoin, sodium valproate, lithium, or withdrawal from prolonged corticosteroid use. Also associated is hypervitaminosis A, so increased vitamin A from either food or vitamins. The mechanism, like I said, is not 100% clearly understood, but potentially that vitamin A affects the arachnoid granulation cells, leading to decreased CSF absorption. Other things that we look for are venous drainage issues, and then less commonly, Addison's disease, chronic kidney disease, Down syndrome. Another pattern that we've seen is that IIH is associated with obesity, but again, the mechanism isn't so clearly understood. So once you kind of ask all these questions, the next thing you're going to want to do with this patient is to get a good, thorough physical exam. One of the things we talk about a lot is getting a differential-driven physical exam, which, as you know, means that as you're examining a patient, um, you have in your mind a list of potential diagnoses, and you're purposefully looking for clues on your exam that will help place one diagnosis in front of another. So when you're doing this physical exam, are there any clues that you're looking for in particular um, that would really cinch the diagnosis of IAH for you? Yeah, so early on, the neurologic exam may actually be non-focal, um, but when we do a thorough exam, we do a fundoscopic exam specifically, we look for disc edema. Um, so optic disc edema or blurring of the optic discs is associated with increased intracranial pressure. And so why does that happen? Um, the optic nerves, like we said, exits the brain parenchyma and it's briefly exposed to circulating CSF before you know, the nerve enters back into the orbit. And so extra pressure from the CSF can compress and push on that nerve, causing a cupped or blurred appearance on the fundoscopic exam. Later on, patients may develop focal deficits, including a cranial nerve 6 palsy, specifically the abducens nerve, in which they can't look laterally. So like we said, this happens later in the course. And so if you notice this, and if patients complain of not only blurry vision or vision loss, but also diplopia or double vision, that can be really alarming. But you want to always complete a full neurologic exam. So like I said, we wouldn't expect to see any focal deficits, but if you do, you want to think about other things that cause headaches, such as an intracranial mass or a stroke or a hemorrhage. Yeah, I love that you brought up that we need to still be thinking about other causes of elevated ICP, um, which include those things that you mentioned, such as intracranial mass, stroke, bleed. So, and there are a lot of factors at play here. We mentioned a lot of things in terms of getting our history, things for our physical exam. It's a lot of stuff to think about. So where would you even start when you're working these kids up? So I think you start with the basics, right? You start with getting that good history and physical, like you already mentioned, but really making sure that you're thorough. And if things start to clue you in to this may be IIH, review that medication history and specifically asking about non-prescription medications or 
non-enteral medications, so topical acne creams, um, like vitamins, things of that nature that we know are associated with IIH is really vital and important. And then take a look at the growth chart. Um, so seeing sudden jumps or weight gain can also can also help. And, you know, we didn't mention this previously, but this is a condition that's most often seen in prepubertal um children, girls more than boys. And so a lot of those medications like oral contraceptives come into play and it's it's important to get that good history. Mm-hmm. And as you're reviewing the growth chart and looking for recent increases in weight and obesity, um, it just kind of brings to mind sort of what we're going through right now with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I know we've seen a lot of kind of increases in um, patients' weights over the past six months or so. Um, have you in your practice seen an increase in IIH during that time? Yes. So to make it a little bit more complicated and confusing, we've also seen an increase in headache in general. And so everything that we've talked about has been very important, but specifically the weight gain that we've seen with the pandemic and um, in our children that are, you know, in virtual school or not, not as active because all the extracurricular activities have been completed virtually or on hold, yes, we have at any given time, we have at least one patient in the hospital that we're treating for IIH and often even more. So definitely a really relevant topic. And after you're done reviewing the medications, reviewing the growth chart, um, what else do you do in terms of workup? So we ask for a little help from our friends, um, especially the ophthalmologists, to come and do a complete and thorough fundoscopic exam. Um, Often our our patients will go over to optho clinic and have a dilated eye exam where the ophthalmologist or neuro-ophthalmologist can do um, serial exams and measurements to evaluate for the improvement or resolution of the papilledema. And then you want to do a lumbar puncture, and most importantly, you want to get your opening pressure. We always check for our basic CSF studies to rule out any secondary causes of increased intracranial pressure. But in a patient with IIH, we would expect to see a normal cell count, normal protein, and normal glucose. But that opening pressure will be high, and it's one of the diagnostic criteria for IIH. The other thing that we do is get an MRI Um, typically without contrast, unless we are concerned for a secondary process, such as an inflammatory process or a tumor, then we would add contrast to our study. But in a standard MRI brain without contrast in these patients, we can sometimes see an empty cella, flattening of the posterior aspect of the globes, and even torturous optic nerves. Let's say you have a classic patient who you think has IIH. Do you need all of those findings on their MRI brain? Uh, for example, what if you had that patient and they got an MRI and it was completely normal? So that's where the lumbar puncture and that opening pressure specifically comes into play. We absolutely have had patients with normal imaging studies, but a pretty classic history. And that's because often the imaging findings and even exam findings can be a little bit behind the actual increased intracranial pressure that the kids have. So you know, disc edema may be a later finding that we see. And like I said, the the sixth nerve palsy is also a later finding, but they may already start to have the headaches. And so you get that opening pressure. If it's high, you can make your diagnosis. Any other imaging that you would get? 
yeah, uh, we want to rule out other causes of um, increased intracranial pressure. So a uh, MRV or an MRI venogram um, of the brain is is the next place to go, and that's to rule out a cavernous sinus thrombosis. You want to look for your transverse venous sinuses and make sure that they, there's no stenosis there, and then also just to assess your venous outflow tracts. Awesome. And so now that we've diagnosed our patient, our next step is going to be to counsel them and make sure we're giving them some good anticipatory guidance. The first thing we want to do in terms of management of these patients is to stop all the offending agents that could be giving them IIH. That means no more retinoids, no more OCPs, no more tetracycline antibiotics, uh, vitamin A, the list goes on and on. And then after that, we want to make sure we're counseling them on weight loss because we know that obesity is somehow linked to the severity of IIH. Um, But how much weight loss are we shooting for? So in our younger children, we want to set very realistic goals and, and really just reinforce healthy habits. So eating good, healthy, lean meats and vegetables and exercising, because often we can't target so much weight loss in the younger population, but just enforcing healthy habits to avoid rapid weight gain. In our older teenage population, we will often set realistic goals, so a small percentage of weight, 5 to 10% that they can work on over a period of time, with the end goal of ending up in that normal BMI range. And if those measurements don't work, or let's say the patient's already experiencing vision loss or very debilitating headaches, what else can we do? We will typically start them on acetazolamide or Diamox, and that's a medication that they take twice a day. Acetazolamide works because it's a carbonic anhydrase inhibitor, so it decreases the CSF production at the choroid plexus. And if you have a patient like that, let's say they're already experiencing vision loss or they have a very debilitating headache, um, you see them in clinic and you're really kind of convinced based off the history and the exam that they have IIH, would you ever go ahead and start that person on acetazolamide in clinic? So vision loss would be a reason to go to the emergency room immediately. We always counsel our patients, even our headache patients that don't have IIH, if they ever just develop visual disturbances that they should go to the emergency department. We will, if we have a normal head CT that tells us that there's no secondary or rather primary cause of secondary increased intracranial pressure, we will often start them on medication while we are waiting to complete our workup. But in an ideal world, we would like to have an opening pressure and a MRI so that way we have something to track and follow along the patient's course. And let's say we see that patient on Diamox a month later, and they're still having the same symptoms, they haven't made any progress. What would you do at that point? We have a couple of extra medications in our toolbox that we can use. So um, a second-line therapy could include topiramate, which is Topamax, has some carbonic anhydrase inhibitor properties um, in its mechanism of action. And then furosemide, which is Lasix, um, as you know, is is a diuretic, and so that can also help and then ultimately, if the symptoms persist and we're not, we're not really making much progress with enteral medications, we can place a VP shunt, which will assist in the drainage of that CSF. Mm-hmm. And so that would be like way, way down the line, like very, very um, third line, right? Yes. yes. Okay. Gotcha. Well, this is super interesting, Dr. Barry. Thank you for um, joining us and helping us learn about IIH. I know I learned a lot and it was great having you. Thank you for having me.
Thanks for listening to MD Notified, a pediatric podcast. References to the information sourced in this episode can be found in the Quick Notes outline, which is available on mdnotified.com. The contributors to MD Notified have no financial disclosures or conflicts of interest. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals in today's episode and do not represent any other organizations or its employees. The primary purpose of this podcast is to inform and educate. This podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice or services. If you are a member of the general public and have questions, please make an appointment with your local board-certified pediatrician.